During the summer when the weather gets hot, I can only imagine how much time you plan to spend outside with friends or alone on your couch with that AC blasting. AT&T 5G and home internet keeps you connected so you can enjoy all the summertime vibes. Whether you're sharing pics from a rooftop, video calling your friends from an outdoor concert, or streaming your favorite show episode after episode. So stay connected to your favorite people and your favorite things with AT&T 5G and home internet. AT&T 5G requires compatible plan and device. Coverage not available everywhere. Learn more at att.com slash 5G for you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The BMW i4 M50. It's 100% electric and 100% BMW. Experience the power of over 500 horses stampeding at a whisper as BMW M-engineered handling takes you through every twist and turn. The complete suite of intuitive technology keeps you connected. The pure performance keeps your heart racing. The BMW i4 M50. Silence has never said so much. BMW, the ultimate electric driving machine. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit healthlock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Her with Amina Brown. I've had some interviews lately, so it's been nice bringing some people into our living room. But I'm back, just me and y'all, wherever you are listening. And today I'm going to take you behind the poetry. This is one of my most recent poems that I've finished in the last couple of years. So I'm actually really looking forward to diving into it with you. Usually, These poems are older, so I might have live recordings or studio recordings I've done, but this poem is a newer one. So I'm just going to do a reading of this, and then I will take you sort of behind the process of how this poem actually got written. So here is a reading of my poem, A Garden of Me. I found my voice. I found my voice on a page and held its spine as if I was keeping time at my first middle school dance. Studied the pages like crystal ball, like tea leaves. I chose my own adventure. Knew the song of the caged bird. 
understood the mute of young Maya, how trauma can make you quiet, how quiet can read to adults as good kid, how when trouble tries to erase you, you never find your thrills and causing trouble again. How rolls of thunder hear the cries of a little black girl, not sure if she has anything to say, or if it matters that she has anything to say, or if there's power in anything she has to say, I found my voice. In the blue eyes of a cola breed love, in Seeley's letters to God, in the rainbows of a colored girls, how Pilate sang a song of Solomon and gave birth to herself, how Janie told my eyes to watch God, and they did. I grew. I grew wings. I grew a voice. I planted myself. I grew a garden of me. I came into full bloom. I discovered my season. Winter came and I grew quiet, but I did not die. I only deepened my roots. I found my voice. And once upon a time is now. Being a storyteller is miles better than being the princess in someone else's story. That you can give birth and be reborn. Don't be afraid to be reborn. To find your soul sits in a new type of skin. Don't be afraid to start over, to backspace, to press delete, to control, alt, delete. Be your own library, your own treasure trove of story and page and song. Check out the book of you with no late fee. Do not put yourself on a waiting list for love and care and gentleness. Find your sanctuary in pages wire bound and be unbound. Step softly into your own known into everything you thought you knew that you now know isn't true. Breathe gently into your uncertainty. Write a love note to yourself, to the world, to the woman you used to be, to the woman you are right now, secretly and publicly. Admire her. So I normally start off when I take you all behind the poetry with what made me write this poem. And I want to give a big, big shout out to Mia Willis. Mia Willis is a phenomenal, phenomenal poet that I know from being a part of Atlanta's poetry community. And Mia was facilitating a workshop and they were using Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, as a jumping off place to help us write. And the prompt that Mia put out there was for all of us to think about what was something that we could look at in our lives that is really responsible for the person that we've become today. So the beginning of this poem, I actually started writing during Mia's workshop. And then I got home and kind of looked at the piece. And, you know, when you're in a writing workshop, especially the amount of time that Mia had to facilitate that with us, I mean, we were probably there for maybe two hours, you know, And that includes time for us to sort of have some discussion with Mia as they were talking us through the different things that were coming up for each of us and thinking about what helped us become, you know, who we are. And then time to write and then time to share, right? So it's really not a lot of time, not for me enough time to finish something, but I had a pretty good start. I would say a lot of the beginning of uh, what is there in what became the poem in the end showed up in the workshop. And I got home and kind of looked at the poem and just thought, I I think I'd like to, you know, take some time to finish this piece, you know. And it's interesting because I think that we were having this workshop. My mind wants to say, I feel like it was 2018 that we were having this workshop. 
may have been early 2019, but we were having this workshop and I was in an interesting place as a writer at that moment. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast for those of you who are regular listeners, but, you know, I've talked a lot about how I was at or at that time, you know, in that sort of 2017 to 2019 time, I was really in an interesting, I don't know, crossroads. Maybe I would describe it that way, career-wise and creatively as well. You know, career-wise, I was realizing that I was in a market which for me was a, a Christian, predominantly white market. And my work was sort of leaning away from what was going to be really acceptable in that space. And I was processing, what does that mean? You know, what to do about that? And then I was starting to realize too, I think it was around this time that I was also realizing the voice of my poems was becoming very different. When I first started doing spoken word, it was the late 90s. And I was really coming out of a very hip-hop-inspired space creatively. A lot of how I write and really and truly a lot of who I am is very inspired with a lot of, very, very inspired by and along with a lot of the music and artists that were out in the late 90s. A lot of that Outkast and Lauryn Hill and Black Thought, you know, a lot of the, the hip-hop writers that I was exposed to at that time. So I think that put a lot of bearing on what I became as a poet. And in particular, when you come across a lot of spoken word poets that were writing around that time, we were all, a lot of us, very inspired by hip-hop wordplay and rhythms and things like that. So my rhyme scheme was a lot tighter. I used my rhyming dictionary a lot more (laughs) when I was writing early on. And then I sort of went into kind of a lot of Christian and church spaces and was writing a lot more kind of what I would say is congregational work, right? Writing a lot of things that I would do in front of a church congregation in what was supposed to be kind of a worshipful moment. And those required a certain kind of rhythm. And it had been a while since I had really been writing just because I wanted to going into this workshop. So I was feeling a lot of trepidation around what is my voice when I'm not writing a thing that I've been commissioned to write? What is my voice when I'm writing just what I want to write? And this poem was one of the first newer pieces that I started. So it was interesting to sort of be in a writing workshop. And as a writer, you know your voice pretty well, you know, you know yourself, but also being in a discovery process, like taking the prompt Mia gave us and then writing And reading it back and going, huh, I wouldn't have expected myself to write about that. or I wouldn't have expected myself to want to approach that in this particular way. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting crossroads to be at entering the workshop. And then I think I put the poem down for a while because I think my schedule traveling kind of picked up. So I I don't think I actually finished this poem until shortly before the pandemic started. Which was also a wild thing because before the pandemic, as I've talked about here on the podcast before, you know, I would finish a new piece and like just take it in my notebook or my journal or whatever and take it out to the open mic. That's how I would work out the piece and figure out what edits I needed to make and how to get it ready for stage. And so there are probably 
two or three pieces that sort of ended up either being written or getting finished during the pandemic that did not do that process. And this was one of them. So it's interesting to think about me kind of returning back to this poem. And also, I think I think it's interesting that a lot of my poetry career, as far as what people would have seen me doing on stage or on video, a lot of my poems were big pieces. You know, they were meant to get big belly laughs from people, or they were meant to be these very, like, uh, somber and um, kind of sobering emotionally kind of moments, you know. There was, like, the light was supposed to come on, and I walk out into the light, and I say this very poignant kind of piece, but still creating this big kind of dramatic moment, you know. And it was interesting to me that this poem kind of came in quietly. And at first I worried about that. You know, I worried like, because there's a lot of, I mean, if I can use the word sass here, you know, there's a lot of sass and attitude that I like to have in my poetry, especially the poetry that I write that I would do not in a church setting. I mean, some of my poems I still do. <laughs> you know, I would still do them in church settings, but I wasn't thinking about church settings when I was writing them, right? The poems that I would think like I could go into any sort of kind of concert or performance event where people actually came there to be entertained. That's what I mean when I'm differentiating that from church settings. People that are in church settings typically aren't arriving there to be entertained. <laughs> you know, uh, it is a surprise to them if you entertain them, right? But I feel like a lot of my work was really built for environments where people came there to be entertained, whether they came there to to think or feel or be in their emotions or they came to laugh. Like a lot of the work I have been doing in the last few years really fits into that environment. And that's what I think around the time that this poem was coming out, I was starting to really notice and become aware of that about my work, that my work wanted to be entertaining and I was in a market that wasn't built on that really, <laughs> you know? So I think it's interesting to think about how this poem really arrived quietly. It is not it is not a, a big, loud, boisterous poem. And I I like that, you know, I like that now. But I think at the time I was like, what's this poem doing, you know? And really trying to stick in there and see what did the poem want to say? It felt very tender. And I think I've talked about this in another Behind the Poetry episode too, but, you know, I haven't been a very cathartic poet in the sense of being a poet that it is rage or it is uh, sadness, you know, it is large emotions that send me to the page. I'm probably more of a poet that's in my head a lot. And it's things I think about and things I wonder that send me to the page. If something very, very emotional happens to me, I actually have to really do a lot of work to write through that. I typically talk through that instead, you know. So it was interesting to sort of let this poem be tender and let it let it say what it wanted to say without trying to make it anything You're probably careful with your personal information, but what about the other places that have it? Like the doctor's office that mixed up your files. They have your social security number. The power company that mistakenly cut your service has your payment info and last three addresses. And the hotel that lost your reservation has your passport info. Your information is in endless places out of your control. 
Any one of them could accidentally expose you to hackers and identity theft through lax security, breaches, or simple mistakes. But LifeLock monitors millions of data points every second and alerts you to a wide range of threats. If your identity is stolen, a U.S.-based restoration specialist will fix it, guaranteed, or your money back. With plans covering up to $3 million for stolen funds and expenses. Mistakes happen. Don't let not having protection be one of them. Save up to 40% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 40%. Terms apply. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. I'll say a couple of really, like, in reading it back with you all today and thinking about some of what is here, I was trying to sort of do, like, like if I could do a historical deep dive into my own reading history and how that reading not only informed the writer that I became, but really informed the woman that I was becoming as well, right? And I remember as a young girl reading I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Dr. Maya Angelou. And I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, to me, some parts of it are in line with the color purple in that you are meeting a, a young Black girl in the story, but some very harsh things are happening in her life. And of course, The Color Purple is fiction. And I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings was autobiographical. But there was something about 
reading about this young Black girl, this young Maya Angelou who's growing up in the South, who has this very traumatic thing happen to her at a very young age, and it's so traumatic that it causes her to not speak for a very long time. And it's interesting because I remember when Oprah Winfrey talked about I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, she talked about the part that caught her was the initial scene of the story where I think young Maya is doing like an Easter speech in her uh, Black church growing up. And it was interesting to me that in this poem, it was that time that Maya Angelou was mute that showed up in this poem. And I didn't realize how much I resonated with that until writing this, because I was, even though I think about myself, who I am now as a woman, that I'm I'm very like, you could you could almost drop me off in front of any crowd of people in a room full of people I don't know. And I'm going to find a way to like connect with most folks. You know, that's kind of how my personality is. I feel like my adult personality is a lot more outgoing than my child personality was. My child personality was very withdrawn. There was some experiences of Maya's trauma that I also knew from my own experiences as well, you know. So I do remember being, especially that sort of eight, nine years old, 10 years old, that era of my life, I remember becoming very withdrawn and very quiet. I was never a child that was going to ham it up. You know, people are curious about that now because I do so much stage work, but I was not a performer as a child. I was a withdrawn reader. And this line about how quiet can read to adults as a good kid, I was like, whoa. I was like, whoa, that it was so accurate about how I really felt growing up. I just don't think I'd ever written about it this way uh, until this poem. And there's a middle stanza here that I'm really, really proud of because I think this part is now we're getting into the part of the piece that I was writing outside of the workshop. And I was trying to think, you know, what were the other very specific Black girl or Black woman books that really informed a lot of what I wanted to be as a Black woman or as a Black girl? And then I had this option. There are a lot of authors here. You know, do I want to shout out the author names? And I have a couple of other poems where I do that. I shout out some authors in God Bless Mom. I shout out some authors and writers in Never Tell a Black Girl How to Black Girl. So I was like, I don't know that I, I you know, the a lot of the names are going to be the same, you know. I know that I want to do that again. And then I thought, well, almost all of these books outside of Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings were fiction books, were fiction or poetry. And I wanted to put more focus on the books and the characters who were there. I actually ordered, uh, during the pandemic, I ordered a copy of Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, so that I could have one in my library. I'm at that point in my library, right? I feel like the past few years, I was sort of decolonizing my library. I was removing a lot of the books there that were written by white men, finding corresponding books that were written by Black women and some by women of color on some similar topics. And a lot of my, like, sort of, Christian spirituality books were written by white folks because that was sort of the environment that I'd been in professionally. But realizing just some of some of that 
um, didn't align with where I was spiritually. And and then once I started like getting rid of a bunch of books, then I could go, okay, now what do I actually want, you know, in my library? And so I, I'm glad to say that I do have a copy of Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. But I think the other thing about this section that was really important to me was to say the character's name is because the characters were in some ways, equally as important as the author names for me. But I also love in a poem, and I'm just going to call them Easter eggs right now because I don't know another term to use, but I love in a poem to leave Easter eggs for folks. And when they hear the poem, there are things there that they know, but I don't have to take time in the poem to explain. And this is one of those sections that I knew that there would be young Black girls or Black women that would get to this section. And when they see how Rolls of Thunder hear the cries of a little Black girl, right? Uh, when they hear the blue eyes of Bacola Breedlove, Celie's letters to God, they know the books I'm talking about. They know the authors I'm talking about. And I, in particular, love to do that with Black women in mind. I, I love to have a poem that just throws all these things out there that are visceral memories for Black girls and Black women, and that they can find them as I'm on stage or as they're listening to my work. So that stands I was really very proud of because I knew if I get to the point where I'm doing this poem on stage again, this part is going to be really nice because there's going to be some some Black women like nodding in the room. You know, they're going to know the the names of some of these books and they're going to remember the authors here. Another line that really struck me that sort of came out of me without me being conscious of it at the time was how Pilate sang a song of Solomon and gave birth to herself. And I'm referencing Toni Morrison's novel, Song of Solomon. And there is a there's a woman there named Pilate who is the sister of one of the main characters in the book. I mean, it could be argued that maybe Pilate is also a main character in this book, you know. But it's interesting because she sort of, if I'm remembering the story right in the novel, um, and I, I, I think I talked about this when I had Cole Arthur Riley on. We were talking a lot about Toni Morrison's work and the spirituality there. And I'm just still struck that this character that Toni Morrison writes that Pilot, that there's a woman, there's a Black woman named Pilot, and it's spelled like the biblical historical figure, Pilot, who was involved in a part of like sort of the story we see as Jesus is headed to the crucifixion, right? He's one of the figures that Jesus has to go to so that they can decide what punishment they're going to give to him. So, that a Black woman has that name is fascinating. That Toni Morrison writes this character who has no belly button. And in my 40s, I have to say, Pilot has just become, she's become a spiritual figure to me in certain ways because I feel very empowered by this idea that a Black woman can give birth to herself um, in certain regards. So that's still sitting with me, y'all. I don't know. I may have a whole episode about it some other time. And... This stanza, this, I grew a voice, I planted myself, I grew a garden of me. I'm going to tell y'all right now, I'm not a person who's great with titles. I have, in the last three or so years of my work, tried to look at the work itself to see if the title is there. And this is probably one of the first poems that that happened, that I didn't know what it was going to be called. And when I got down this deep into the poem, I was like, oh, a garden of me, that's it. And as a person who uh, 
got into like having house plants during the pandemic. I feel like all of us got into something that we weren't that into. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't that into having plants, partly because we were traveling a lot. So I felt like all they're going to do is sit in our house and die. You know, why should I be worried about that? But the pandemic has brought me a lot of plants. I have quite a few plants, some that were given to me, some that I bought. So I just, I love the the idea of a garden metaphor and just all the things that plants teach you and the times of the year that it can kind of seem like your plant is dying. I have a, a local place I like to go to in Atlanta. It's called the Garden Hood. And I have taken quite a few plants there <laughs> and have been like, what's wrong with it? You know, and they'll be like, oh, it just needs to be repotted or it just does this this time of year. It just does that sometimes if the leaves are old, you know, and all these things that you learn about how uh, the seasons are going to go in a plant's life. And this idea that I, I feel like this poem was in some ways the beginning of me going I I get to grow a voice. I plant myself. I think a lot of my professional career was me, I felt like was me sort of saying things that people wanted me to say or the things that people wanted to hear, the things they expected. And this poem was the beginning of me really growing my own voice in a certain way. And I'm going to tell y'all, I've had a lot of just tough times come in my life, you know, and this winter came and I grew quiet, but I did not die. I only deepened my roots is something that has come back to me over and over. You know, this idea that you can go through something that either feels like it's going to break you or did break you. My therapist has been getting with me about me saying feels like blah, blah, blah. Because she'll be like, sometimes you say that something feels like it hurts you this way. But she was like, I want you to practice saying it hurts you this way, not just it feels like that, like it's real that it hurts you, you know. So I'm trying, y'all, you know, you be trying to do your work, okay. And I also loved talking a little bit about the library here because I tried to think about overall, like if reading was such a big thing in my life, if reading is what helped me become, then I've talked now in the poem about the books I've read but I could not let the poem go by without also talking about the library and its place in my life and all of the things that those of us who are library heads know about, you know, going there and checking out the books. And I, I, I know a lot of libraries may be doing away with this now, but when a lot of us were growing up, you know, you check out your book, you had so many days you could keep it. You had so many times you could possibly renew it, but if you didn't renew it, then you would have a late fee. And the idea of, how much the library was this place where I got to learn about so many things and places and people. I got to find out about books that maybe I wouldn't have found out about if it weren't for the library. So shout out to our local libraries. And this idea that the same sort of attention you would give to a subject that you wanted to know about, you know, like if you wanted to learn how to cook more of this type of food, you know, you might buy cookbooks by these certain writers, or if you wanted to know more about a particular topic, you might, you know, read more books about that. If you were traveling to a certain place, you might want to read books about that place, right? To give yourself that same sort of study, you know, that idea of checking out the book of you with no late fee, that you don't have to put the book back, that you get a chance to 
learn about yourself, how you're becoming, how you're healing. And it is interesting to me that, of course, I couldn't write about all this reading and becoming without talking about writing. But here, I wasn't really talking about writing as a professional. I was talking about sort of the ideas of writing that my mom gave to me initially. It was really important to my mom that I understood that a a journal or a notebook that I keep to myself is really important, that that is an important place to put my words and my thoughts. And so this idea of being able to sort of write a note to yourself, write those good words to yourself, all those things are really important to me in general and important to how the poem got written. What is the real life story behind performing this poem for the first time? My memory is getting hazy, y'all, but I think the first time I ever read this to anyone was when I did a virtual event for a Yale Black Seminarians women's gathering. And it was, I did a, I did quite a few uh, virtual events over this time of the first two years of the pandemic. And they all had different things about them that I enjoyed. But this was one of my favorite ones. First of all, it is a privilege and an honor to get to perform poetry in front of an audience of Black women, you know. It's amazing. <laughs> and and I mean, obviously, in part because I'm a Black woman and because a lot of my work is is written thoughtful of Black women, thoughtful of our stories and thoughtful of our healing journeys and different things. So to get to do that, and this is coming from someone who really, for the most part, I, I don't do a lot of Christian or church or those kind of um, faith-based type of events, you know, for various reasons that (laughs) probably belongs in another episode here. But when I got this request to not only just talk spiritually with an audience of Black women, but specifically to talk to Black women who are going to seminary at Yale. And it was such a communal experience uh, to get to be a part of it and to get to share this tender poem with them as they are, you know, matriculating in an environment that is not easy. You know, it's not easy. And there are particular ways that that is not easy for Black women. And it was beautiful, even virtually, to look at all of their faces across Zoom and get to share this poem. So that's, that's very meaningful to me. How do I feel about the poem now? This poem, it's still one of my favorites. It's still it's still going to be interesting to me when I get back to performing sets of poetry because I haven't yet done this poem like in front of a live audience in a set. And I'm I'm curious about that. Like the other poem that I've done uh, here and our behind the poetry is Here Breathing. Here Breathing is a very tender piece as well. And so I really have to craft the moment that I'm going to bring that poem out there. And I'm curious to how Garden of Me will play a role in my poetry sets in the future. But that's one of the things I really love about being a poet is that I can have moments like that in my set, that people are open to it, they expect it, you know, all those things. And I am informed a lot by stand-up comedy and the comedic process. That plays a role in how I write and plays a big role in how I perform my poetry sets, you know? I love to make people laugh. And I love that I'm a poet. So if I want to hold space for grief in the middle of my sets, I can do it. 
If I want to read a tender poem in the middle of my sets, I can do that. So I still love this poem very much. And I look forward to seeing how to sort of build a story around it and how to put it in there next to my other pieces. So thank you all so much for going behind the poetry with me on Garden of Me. Thank you for allowing tender feelings here in the living room. Just anything you can bring, your any place you can bring your tender feelings. You can bring your tender feelings up in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyways, it's been so great talking with you all. I'll talk to you next week. Her with Amina Brown is produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions as a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.